You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139. We've only got a few weeks left in our Psalm study. Um, You'll remember that we started about six months ago and we were working through uh, just varieties of Psalms, not not in in any particular order, just I kind of told you up front that I didn't have a rhyme or reason going into this study as to which ones we would cover and which ones we would not. Um, So the Lord, week by week, has just kind of guided me into uh, the next psalm that we're studying. And so today we're going to come to Psalm 139. And uh, last week we were in Psalm 67, talking specifically about um, the ways that God blesses us and kind of the purposes behind those blessings, right? So we were talking about how we can pray and ask God for blessing with the mindset that he blesses us for missional purposes, right? So we talked about the nations being glad in God and how the blessings that he gives to us are meant to be a reflection of who he is and his character, the ways that we respond to those blessings. We're to portray that to other people so that other people are drawn to him. Um, The idea being that as God blesses us and gives us, uh, we use those gifts as means of worship, and it draws other people to worship him. When God withholds things from us, that it's also meant to be an expression of worship, that he knows better than what we even desire, and so we can point others to him too, because God doesn't bless us all equally. He blesses us differently. He gives us different circumstances, and it's in those circumstances that we can worship him and point others to him too. And so I challenged you last week to pray for God's goodness, for, to pray for God's blessing in your life, but to do so with the goal of leveraging it for gospel purposes, right? To use those blessings as a means to bring glory to him, to worship him. And so the second piece of our application last week was to not only pray for those blessings, but to quickly give him thanks and honor for those blessings so that he gets the credit for it and so others are drawn to him. Today we come to Psalm chapter 139, and I want to read our text for us today before we jump into an understanding of it. It says in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. 
They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take their name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's look at our summary sentence for today. As the all-knowing, all, always present, capable of anything God, we can find great assurance, peace, and direction in knowing that he already knows us, is already wherever we go, and has already determined our days. As the all-knowing, always present, capable of anything God, we can find great assurance, peace, and direction in knowing that he already knows us, is already wherever we go, and has already determined our days. For our kids, God already knows everything about you because he made you. I titled today's sermon, The Already God, because this passage points us to the fact that God already, already so many things. He already knows us, right? He's already everywhere that we're ever going to go, right? And he's already determined in his knowledge what our life is going to look like. What a comfort and assurance. Now there's the flip side where we may look at that and cringe a little bit. We may cringe a little bit at that intimate knowledge that God proclaims to know about us because in some ways we know ourselves intimately and, and we may not want that fully exposed, right? We may not want a God who goes with us literally everywhere that we go. For some of us, that, that would be a cringeworthy type truth, but what we want to see today through God's word is how assuring it is to know that God works and moves in our life in this way. The theme of the chapter here in Psalm 139 is the uh, omni-attributes of God, right? His, his omniscience, his all-knowingness, his omnipresence, his, his ability to be everywhere all at one time, his omnipotence, his ability to do anything. And so that's the, the theme of this chapter. But the way David writes, he writes it in such a way where uh, there's direct application to him personally. There's direct application to him personally. So it's not just arbitrarily that, oh, God has all the power and God is everywhere and God has all the knowledge. David personalizes that and says, God knows everything about me. God is everywhere with me, right? Um, God is capable of doing anything with me and through me. And so he personalizes it. And I think it's appropriate for us as the reader to personalize this too, we want to take this arbitrary idea of, of who God is and his character and his attributes and personalize that towards us because it's absolutely true for us. His, his power and his knowledge and his presence, those things are directly applied to us. He knows everything about me. He always knows where I am because he's always there with me and he can do anything for me and through me. Notice, too, how the chapter begins and ends with a similar concept. In verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched and known me. You have searched me and known me. And so David gives proper credit to God for his omniscience, for his knowledge. He says, you know me. But look how he ends the chapter. He ends it with a similar idea. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. And we'll talk about what's happening there with the beginning piece and the end piece. But that end piece is a desire for God to continue working and moving in his life in the ways that he always has been. And we'll see the relevance of that for us in our own application uh, for today. So not only do we want to look at this from the, the personalized perspective, I think it's too appropriate 
on Mother's Day. And so we do wish all of our mothers a happy Mother's Day. We've got a gift for you in the back on your way out. So I've got a table set up outside with a book that we'd love for you to take home with you. Um, We want to see this passage too in the ways that it assures our moms about their children. And I think it says some key things to us today uh, because as a parent, oftentimes we want to be in control of what's happening with our children and oftentimes we feel very out of control. And I think today's chapter speaks to those anxieties sometimes that happen towards our children. We want to give them all the care that we could ever give. We want to be all powerful in their life, right? We want to be all knowing in their life and we want to be all present in their life. And, And we can't, we can't be those things right? But our Heavenly Father is. And so I think there's a lot of assurance for our moms today. And so as we work through this chapter, I'll try to make some, some uh, specific points to our moms, just as a means of encouragement to you today uh, for the children that you have raised and are continuing to raise. Let's start with this first section. So the, the chapter really breaks up into four sections uh, with six verses each. So we'll start by looking at verses one through six together this morning. Number one, We want to find assurance in God's absolute awareness. We want to find assurance in God's absolute awareness. So we'll start with this truth idea that my God knows who I am because he understands me. He knows me. He has a perfect knowledge of me. And therefore, not only does he know things about me, but he understands me. He knows me. He has a perfect knowledge, which implies that he doesn't learn, right? Um, it's a knowledge that David even says in verse six, it's too wonderful for me to understand this knowledge that you have. It's high and I cannot attain it. It's a perfect knowledge. God doesn't learn about us as we grow, right? We learn about ourselves and others learn about us as we grow and develop. But God has a perfect knowledge of us. He knows us intimately. Look at some of the things that David highlights. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Verse two, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. There's specific things that God communicates knowing about us. Number one, he knows what I'm feeling. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows and understands my character and my heart. David says, Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You have an intimate knowledge of the inward me, which again can be reassuring and can also be scary, right? That God's able to see into the deep, dark crevices of our heart. He knows the inward you. He knows who you are, which can be reassuring when, when you feel like nobody else in your life does understand you, right? When you feel misunderstood by other people, to know that our heavenly father fully understands who we are. He has an intimate knowledge of what's going on inside of us. He knows what we're feeling, even when we have a hard time expressing those feelings, maybe to others. He knows and understands my character and my heart, an intimate knowledge of me. But number two, he also knows what I'm doing. He knows what I'm doing. He knows and understands my conduct and my actions. He knows when I sit down. He knows when I rise up. He can discern my thoughts from afar. He knows my conduct, my actions. He knows what I'm doing at all times and all places. But number three, he also knows what I'm thinking. Look what he says. Verse four, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
The idea being that he knows our thoughts we have prior to even being able to verbally express those to others. He knows our thoughts before we even have those thoughts, right? Think about the intimate knowledge that God is possessing here. The knowledge not just of you, but of me and of everyone in this room, of, of, of all that he has created, right? He has an intimate knowledge of who we are, a full awareness, a full understanding. He knows the conversations that we engage in, the direction that we want to take those conversations even. He's never surprised by our words, even though we might surprise ourselves sometimes with the words that we use, right? There's times when words come out and are expressed in ways that we didn't intend to, both positive and negative, right? There's, 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 there's times when I'm teaching up here and there's things that, that God is leading me to say and to, to communicate that maybe I hadn't even prepared to say. So from a positive sense, God works and moves and knows thoughts and ideas before I even know them. There's other times when I'm, I'm using my words in a harmful way and I didn't intend to, right? The anger gets the best of me and I, and I begin to shoot words out that are hurtful and cut other people. And God knows those too, right? God's not surprised. He's, he's fully aware of who we are. He has all knowledge about us. But what does he do with that knowledge, right? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think that David tells us in verse 5, that it's a good thing, it's a positive thing, because look, look what he does with the knowledge that he possesses. He says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. That, that word hem maybe is used more negatively than positively in, in, if we were to use it. Like we, we might would say that we feel hemmed in as though we're, we're kind of being pressured or or confined, or we feel like our space is being violated. But I looked at a couple of ways that this, this original Hebrew word is used in other places in the Old Testament, and it's used twice in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 34, verse 7, says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Right here, the picture is a picture of protection. He encamps or he hems around his people. Right, he closes in on his people, not for harmful purposes or not for abusive purposes. Right, he's not taking the intimate knowledge that he has to then use it to embarrass us. No, it says that he encamps around us. He uses his knowledge of us to hem us in or to protect us. Psalm one twenty five. Verse 2 says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Again, this picture of God in his authority and his power and his care and his grace surrounding us, encamping us, hemming us in. That's what he does with his knowledge. He uses it for our good purposes. He uses it to guard us and to protect us. It's a positive thing. It's a reassuring thing to know that God has this type of knowledge of us. He lays his hand upon me. He comforts me with the understanding that he has of me. The implication here. He surrounds and encircles us with understanding while laying his hand upon us in that understanding. His omniscience, his all-knowingness about him. He knows me. He understands me. Even when those closest to me don't, even when I feel like I'm not being understood, God gets me. God understands me. He comforts me. He encircles me. He lays his hand upon me in that knowledge. 
I think this speaks to our moms too. So a word to our moms this morning. You serve a God who understands your children in every way, particularly in those moments when you can't. And if you haven't had those moments yet, you will, right? Um, I'm starting to see that as my kids get older, but I've sat with countless parents as a principal talking about things that their children are going through with parents, right? And and parents expressing it to me, I don't don't know what's going on. And and I tell them it's middle school. Nobody knows what's going on during this time of life, right? But they look at me and they say, I don't get my kid. I don't understand. They're they're coming home and they're crying at night for no particular reason. I'm trying to have conversations with them when we can't talk about anything because they can't figure out how to verbally express to me what they're feeling. Man, it's in moments like that where you can just step back and say, my God knows. Even as the parent that I want to be right now, I want to know and I may not. My God knows. My God knows. And so I think it speaks to our moms this morning that we serve a God who understands our children in every way, in every intimate way possible. He understands our children, especially in those moments when we can't. He does. And so we can find assurance in God's absolute awareness. His, his knowledge is meant to be something that we run to and we, we welcome. We want to be known in this way. Because that means he really can surround us and protect us and, and, and put his hand upon us in the most appropriate ways because he knows everything that we're dealing with. Number two, the second section, we find peace in God's protective presence. We find peace in God's protective presence. Right? In the first section, he knows things. Right, He knows where we sit. He knows where we rise up. He knows um, our path. He knows when we're lying down. He knows all of our ways. But in verse 7, it begins to help us see that the reason that he knows these things is because he is with us in all of these things. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The truth here is that my God knows where I am because he's always with me. His omnipresence. He's everywhere, but he's also everywhere with us, right? He's everywhere with me. He knows exactly where I am and he's with me every step of the way. You know where I am because you go with me, God. But I think it's helpful for us to realize in, in, in talking about his omnipresence that God really doesn't go anywhere, right? He's already there and he's always there. So it's, we use terminology and, and scripture even uses this type of terminology about God going with us and God going before us. But really the idea when we talk about God's omnipresence is that he's always everywhere. He's already there. He never really goes anywhere. But David begins to highlight points here about he is with me in my highs and my lows. He uses this compare and contrast tool talking about if I ascend to heaven, like the highest possible place that he can think of, obviously God is there, right? God is with us in our highs. But then he begins to talk about my bed in Sheol or that that idea of the grave. And we've talked about Sheol and how it's used in Psalms already. But it's the idea of like my lowest of lows. If I were to go into the grave, into the tomb, into the ground, God is there too. If I were to go into the afterlife, God is there with me. In all of my highs, in all of my lows, as high as I can go and as low as I can go, God remains with me there. He's with me from morning until night. 
That's the idea going on in verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. If you're, if you're, if you're Jewish and you're reading this, you're thinking about the, the sun. And, and oftentimes in the Old Testament, the sun is attributed to having wings. And so the idea being in the morning, as the sun comes up in the east, right? The wings of the sun come flying up in the east. God is there with me. But if I were to try to run from that, if I were to run to the outermost parts of the sea, right, towards the west where the sun will eventually set, he says, you're with me there too. From east to west, so you have kind of a north to south perspective from, uh, from heaven all the way down to the earth, to the ground, to the grave. From east to west, you remain with me. From morning until night, from morning until night, you are with me. From dawn to dusk and everything in between, all day long, God remains with us. But he's also in the darkest moments with us too. He's with me in the darkest, the darkness and the light. David says, surely when, when darkness is hanging over me, when darkness is covering me, the light about me be night. Surely you're not there then. But even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You could probably think of this in, in two different manners. One, in our own dark moments that we don't choose, God remains with us. But even if there's a temptation or a desire to hide from God in the darkness, right? Maybe, maybe we're tempted to hide as Adam and Eve because we know we've sinned. Maybe we're, we're trying to cover things up like Cain after he kills his brother, right? There, there may be a temptation that we feel to hide from God, to run from God. And David says, even then I can't. Even in the darkness, your light shines forth and brings awareness to everything. There is no darkness to you. I can't escape you. I can't outrun you. If I wanted to be like Jonah and run from, from going one direction to the opposite direction, I can't. I can't get away from you. As we'll see here in a minute in the next section, think about the, maybe the darkest place we've ever been, the place where there was uh, the least bit of understanding about us is the picture of us being in the womb, right? Like, we're there in the womb. We can't even really think and comprehend for ourselves yet. It's dark all around us. And God says, I was absolutely there with you, right? I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm always with you. And David is celebrating this. Again, you could look at this and say, like, I, don't, I don't like somebody having that kind of knowledge of me. I don't like somebody being with me at all times. I don't like somebody knowing everything about me. But again, the idea being that God uses it for good purposes. Verse 10. What's he doing when he's with us? What's his purpose in being with us? Well, the implications there in verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He remains with us in an active, protective way by leading us and holding us at all times, in all places, no matter how dark. He's always with us. He's always protecting us. He's always hemming in around us. He's placing his hand upon us. He's leading us in every place that we go and he's holding on to us at all times in every place that we go. It's a comfort to us. It's, a, it's an assurance to us. It gives us peace in knowing these things. No matter where we go, he goes with us. Our word to our moms here, you serve a God 
who knows where your children are at all times and was waiting there for them when they got there. Man, what an assurance that is for us, right? Because some of you are in the stage now where your kids are growing up and you're, and you're starting to send them out. And, and, and though you may try to put protective measures in place, right? Like you think you've got them hemmed in because you've got a cell phone in their hand and you're tracking it and you know everywhere they go. You don't, right? Like, like there's, there's ways around that if they want to get around it. Um, there, there's coming a point, if you haven't reached that, where your kids will step out and, and you won't always know every second of every day where they're at. I remember for me, it happened in college when I began to realize that I am no longer fully under my parents' care. Right? I think I've shared the story before. I'm at school in Virginia at Liberty. A buddy of mine says, hey, you want to go with me? I need to pick up a buddy of mine at the airport in North Carolina. Right? And so we get up early one morning. I didn't have class. We're driving to North Carolina, and, I, and it dawned on me, my mom thinks I'm in Virginia right now. My mom thinks I'm in my bed in my dorm room, and I'm at an airport in North Carolina, and she has no idea. Right? And it kind of hit me right then. I said, man, like, it was, it was, a, it was a, an exhilarating thing, right? Like, I am free in some ways. My parents have no idea where I am. And there was also this piece of fear where it was like, my parents have no idea where I am right now if something happens to me, right? So it happens for us as kids, too. As we get older, we begin to realize there comes a point when my parent doesn't know everywhere I am, right? The flowers send off their daughter overseas, right? And, and, and they're tracking her and trying to keep in touch with her to know where she's at. The assuring things is that God was already there waiting for her when she landed, right? He's already there. He doesn't just go with us. He's awaiting our arrival everywhere we go. So for our moms this morning, as you, as you travel that stage of life, know you serve a God who knows where your children are at all times, and he's waiting there for them every step of the way. Every step of the way, he's waiting for them. Number three, we find direction in God's definite design. We find direction in God's definite design. Think about, again, the omnis that are being talked about, his omniscience, his, his knowledge, his awareness, his full understanding. How is that comforting to us? Well, he uses it to know exactly how to care for us, how to hem us in and how to encamp around us to protect us. We're talking about his omnipresence, the fact that he is always with us everywhere. He goes before us and behind us. We cannot escape him. Even if we wanted to, we can't run from him. Why is that a good thing? Because he's there to lead us, to hold us at all times. Even when our parents can't be there to hold us, right? He's there to hold us at all times. But then we see a little bit more intimacy about how God views us when we step into verse 13. The reason that he knows about us, the reason that he goes with us everywhere is because he made us, right? Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. The truth here is that my God knows what I'm going to become because he designed me. He knows what I'm going to become because he designed me. So not just speaking to our moms today, but speaking to each one of us individually, we take comfort in knowing that our God understands us. We take comfort in knowing that our God is always with us. But we also take comfort in knowing that God knows exactly what he has designed us to be and to become. 
and he's working and moving because when he starts a good work, he finishes a good work, Philippians tells us. You made me and you know what I will do, David tells us. This passage is often used and rightfully so to point us to a pro-life type of perspective and what an appropriate Sunday to be looking at this in light of what we're hearing from the Supreme Court and possibilities surrounding decisions that may come in the near future. And we want to pray for that to happen. We want to pray for that to happen because as we read this, man, I don't know how you read this and don't see as a, as a believer the, the intricate details of what is happening inside the womb. That God is pro-life from conception to the last day of one's life. So it's not just about abortion, right? We're talking about everything in between birth or or conception all the way to the end of life. What we'll see here at the end of the chapter is is those who have blood on their hands are considered enemies of God, right? Whenever murder is taking place, whether it's in the womb or whether it's at the end of life when euthanasia is being enacted or whether it's in somewhere in between where wars and and, and fights and conflicts are happening and murders take place. God is pro-life in that he is working and moving in the hearts and minds of people for purposes. And any type of murder is a disruptive activity to what he was doing, right? I mean, think about the fact that, that David pictures God actively present in the womb, putting that life together, putting that body together, putting that soul together, putting that mind together, planning the actions and the life of that baby for, for the long term as well, right? It's, it's an unbelievable picture of how intimate God is with us, not just from our beginning, but really even before our beginning, right? Look what Jeremiah chapter 1 says. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this is direct application to Jeremiah, right? But I believe this, this could really be said about any of us if God were to come and have a similar conversation with us. Hey, before you were formed, I knew you. Before you were born, I was making plans for you. And I planned for you to be this, right? Like, that's what's happening here. There's an intimate knowledge of God towards us that happens from the very beginning. He knows everything about us and he's always remaining with us. Why? Because he is invested in us, right? He made us and he stays with us. Number one, he planned my beginning. He planned my beginning. His careful planning extends, as we just saw from Jeremiah 1, to preconception. His knowledge of us is far superior to any human knowledge, right? Even doctors that try to tell a parent everything that they can about a child in the womb. They can't tell them everything, right? I remember when, when AJ was, was conceived and we began to go and get ultrasounds done. They're telling us all these things about his kidneys and potentially all these problems that he may have. And they're telling us, hey, we just don't know and we won't know until he's born. And I'm thinking, how can you not know? Like with all the advances that we have, how can you not tell me more about my child here, Right? But, but if we're honest, like, they get the gender wrong a lot of times, right? Like, like you, think you're having, you think you're having one and you have the other because they just don't know. They think, they think they can tell us things, but really it's a limited knowledge. To think that God knows the gender before the, the conception even happens should blow our minds. David says it's a knowledge that I can't even, like, grasp. That you know, you know the lifespan of, of, of people before they're even conceived, Right? intimate knowledge that God possesses 
of us. Far superior to human knowledge. Because He made us, we take our definition of who we are and why we are here directly from Him. Right? We talked some last week about a biblical worldview and how the Bible shapes how we view things. Shapes how we view things, right? Who we are like, and what's being combated right now in our culture, this attack on, on gender identity and sexuality, right? That basically we can define that for ourselves. Man, it totally goes against everything that we're reading here because God is the author of it. God is the author of who we are. He's the one that puts our body together. He's the one that forms it, right? He gives us our identity. He also gives us our purpose too because he has planned our days, the Bible tells us. In his book are written every one of our days, the days that were formed for us, even before there were any days to be talked about. He planned my beginning. He planned my identity. He made me who I am. All the details, all the particulars that make me, me, come from him. Are they tied to who my mom is and who my dad is? Yeah, absolutely. But the particulars of who I am, and God made that. He made us with great care. It's not an accident or an afterthought. He made us intentionally how he did, which really should shape our view not only of ourselves and the value that we give to ourselves. Some of us are great at giving overvalue to ourselves. Some of us are undervaluing ourselves. And so we get our value from what God says about us, right? A proper value. But then it also shapes how we view other people too, right? As we see their differences, as we see maybe they're not as smart as us or maybe not as athletic as us. Maybe they don't possess the same gifts and abilities as us. Man, we have to work and battle this in middle school like none other time in history, maybe for, for, an, for an age group, because there's such criticism towards others in an attempt to feel valuable yourself, all right? Let me, let, me, let me tear other people down. Let me criticize because of what you don't have and what I do have. The Bible tells us that our, our view of others should really be shaped by what this tells us, that God is who gives us all the things that we possess. He shapes our bodies. He shapes the gifts that those bodies possess. He planned our beginning. He planned our identity. And then lastly, he planned my future. The Bible says he fashioned my days in advance. He knows the length and the specifics of my life. And really, he's determined how I'm going to glorify him with my life, right? Remember what we talked about in Ephesians 2.10? So back in our previous study last year in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And God has planned the good works that he desires for us to do to bring him glory. He's, he's designed the blessings as we saw about last week, the blessings that he gives to us so that we can use those as a means of worship to draw the nations to him. He planned my future. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, uh, God has prepared us for what he has prepared for us. Let me say that again. He has prepared us. God has prepared us for what he has prepared for us, right? So, so God builds us in the womb, makes us who we need to be for the things that he wants us to do. So he gifts us and fashions us and shapes us exactly like we need to be to carry out the duties that he gives to us. God could see us when we could not be seen and he wrote about us when there was nothing yet to write. All these things happening in the womb, Right? When we couldn't be seen, God saw us. And when there was nothing really to write about, 
God was writing about us. The implication here is that he has laid out every particular of my life with great thought and care for very specific reasons. He has laid out every particular of my life with great thought and care for very specific reasons, which goes back to what we've talked about previously, right? I can trust the contents of the cup that God gives me to drink. I can trust the details of the life that God gives to me. I can trust my plot lines. I can trust my property lines that he gives to me. They are given to me for a specific purpose. We should never regret that we are not someone else with their life. That's hard sometimes because sometimes we're tempted to do that. We're tempted to regret that we are not somebody else running their life. But this passage would encourage us to see that God has, has not just as an afterthought thrown us in a womb and given us random parents and given us a random life. No, it's all by intricate design that he has done the things that he has done in our life. He's constructed those. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David praises him for fearfully and wonderfully making him, for knitting him together. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How precious is the wisdom and the thoughtful care that you have given to me. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. A word to our moms here. You serve a God who cared for your child and planned for your child before you even knew you had a child. Think about the comfort that that gives to you as a parent, right? God knew you were pregnant before you ever took a test. He knew the life of your child before you even knew you had one, right? So there's, there's, there's that temptation to want to wanna be these things that God is towards your child, and that's absolutely healthy. It's the parental peace that God has given to us as parents, right? We want to be there for our children. We want to protect our children at all times. We want to know everything about our child and what is going on in their life, but we don't. We can't because we're not all these omni things that he is, but we can find assurance in the fact that they have a God in their life who is all these things that we can't be. Application for us is the last section. It's kind of a weird transition. You're hearing all these great things about God and and who he is and what he does. And then verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think David's purpose in this really ties back to something that I said at the very beginning, is that you can have two different reactions to what we're reading about here, right? You can see this positively as an assuring piece that God's always with us and that that God knows everything about us and that God's the one who made us and basically dictates what we're here for. Or you can hear that and say, I hate that. I hate that God would think that he needs to be in every part of my life. I hate the fact that God thinks he needs to go everywhere I go and gets to dictate everything that I'm supposed to be doing for him, right? We can reject that creator right that he has over us and say, man, I want to do things differently, and I I don't want you coming along for the ride. I think that's where David lands here is that there are groups of people who respond that way, right? There's the wicked who say, uh, who speak maliciously about this God. Right? I, I'm trying to praise this type of God this morning. David's trying to praise this type of God. But there are people who respond with malicious intent and take this God's name in vain and want nothing to do with him. 
in fact, want to work against him by shedding blood. David says, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of where that's headed. Because he knows that judgment's coming upon that type of response. And so there's two points of application. There's a negative and a positive that I think are super important for us to see. Number one, the negative being we are to reject the ways of those who are apprehensive or antagonistic versus appreciative of this type of God. And we've, we've talked about this some throughout Psalms too, like the company that we keep, the people that we enjoy intimacy with here on this earth, right? Who are our closest friends? Who are our closest companions? Are they walking consistently with God's word? And if they're not, we need to distance ourselves from them, right? Like it's not a call to completely remove yourselves from any contact with unbelievers, but it is a call to be very careful how intimate you get with unbelievers, right? That, that, that David's heart says, look, if you're, not, if you're not okay with this type of God, like if you're not prone to worship him, because David says, here's all these truths about God, and I can't help but worship him and thank him and run to him and cling to him because I want him clinging to me. But if you're in this group of people who say, I don't want that, I reject that, I, I want no part of that, David says, I don't want any part of you. I don't want any part of you. Spurgeon says, if God will not let you live with him, I will not have you live with me. If God will not let you live with him, I will not have you live with me. We should want God near us and the wicked far from us. That's what's happening here at the end of this passage. A separation from the wicked who speak with malicious intent towards this type of God. The positive piece of the application is that we pray for God's conviction about your own sin with a desire for him to guide you once again in his everlasting ways. Because I think that's what David says here at the end here. While he's, he's, he's crying out for God's proper judgment, I think we have to be careful to try to replicate this because we're so prone to, to be vengeful in our desires for God to judge, right? Rarely is it holy. Rarely is our anger towards others right. But I think David is expressing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit a, a rightful attitude here. But there's humility attached to it too, right? Because in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. The idea being, hey, if I start down this path of viewing God this way, if I start down this path of being apprehensive or antagonistic, hey, I don't want you in my life like that, God. I don't want your intimacy. I don't want you to know me. I don't want you to go with me because I want to do things against your will. If, if, if I ever start going down that path, David's like, hey, search me and know me again and get me back on the right path. Like, lead me, grab hold of me like you've promised to, right? Because you tell me, I will lead you and I will hold you. And David's saying, do that. Like, grab hold of me and lead me back into the way of everlasting, right? Like, like that's our application is that we evaluate how are we viewing God right now? Do we read these things and say, amen, I want God working in my life like that? Or do we evaluate our life and say, not right now. I, I don't want you looking that, that closely at me right now. I don't want you with me all the time right now because I know I'm going places that you don't want me going. And I'm saying things that you don't want me saying. And I'm doing things that you don't want me doing. Right? David says, if I'm doing any of that, like you search me and know me, God, and you grab hold of me and you lead me back to the way everlasting. That's our application, to reject the ways of those who view God apprehensively or antagonistically versus in an appreciative manner. And we pray for God to convict us if we ever steer into that type of path 
He'd grab hold of us and he'd bring us back to the way everlasting. Our last word to our moms this morning. Be okay with admitting that you will never fully understand your child. There will be times when you don't know the whereabouts of your child. And there will be plans you would hope for your child that will fall through. Be ready to spend more time praying for God's conviction and guidance in your child's life instead of worrying about the things you can't do for them. But he can. God does all these things. All of us personally. For those of us with children, he does these towards our children too. Right? And so we can take comfort and hope and assurance that when we are limited in being the type of parent that we want to be, that God supersedes those things. And he is those things in the life of our children. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. We praise you for being this type of God. Even though our sin would say, uh, reject this because we don't want to be known this way and we don't want that type of presence always with us. God, help us to see how assuring it is to know that you have been so invested in us from the very beginning and that you have committed yourself to always being with us wherever we go and that you know us and you understand us. You've planned our life for us. You've given us so much to be a part of within your kingdom. God, help us to run to you as this type of God. Convict us when we're prone to to have malicious intent to speak against you and to work against you and to desire anything but you. When we, when we want to live life the way that we want to live it, when it's contrary to your word, God, I pray that you would convict us and lay hold of us and bring us back to the way everlasting. Lord, help us to have that heart of David who says, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to go down that path, so God, protect me from ever doing it. God, I pray for those that maybe are are, are walking down that path right now. I pray for those parents who have children that are maybe walking down that path right now that you would seize hold of them and bring them back to the way everlasting. God, in your intimate knowledge, in your intimate awareness, your, your all-encompassing presence, God, we rejoice over the fact that you are a God who knew our children before they were ever conceived. And you know the plans that you have for their life better than we do. But God, if, there, if, there's, if there's children represented here that, that, are, that are wandering a bit, God, I pray that you'd bring them back. As parents are trying to bring them back themselves, God, reassure them that you have the power and the capability to do so. We praise you and we thank you for that. We, 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 we rejoice today, God, over this type of knowledge, over this type of presence, over this type of detail. We rejoice over it. We thank you for being this type of God. We give you praise and glory and honor for it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.